Great. Um, I hope all of you came back. I think that was not five minutes, but uh, let's just sort of get started. I'm Leslie Vogt. I'm a fourth year graduate student in chemistry, and I came to scientific computing uh, via a lot of experimental chemistry work in, in the lab. And I've switched over to doing theoretical chemistry. And in the process, um, I work with Alan Aspuru-Guzik. He's an assistant faculty who is really into this idea of heterogeneous computing, including rerun codes on supercomputers. But now we're starting to get into this desktop parallelization using graphics cards, um, in addition to using uh, Boink distributed computing via the internet, sort of like SETI at home or folding at home. We have a project called the Clean Energy Project, which also in the future will potentially use graphics cards as sort of a parallel to users around the world, but also using parallel computing on their desktops via GPU cards that they may have. So one of the things that I discovered coming into um, scientific computing was that I am much better at science than I am at optimizing a particular implementation of my code. And so one of the things that I learned very quickly was that libraries can be a really great way to focus on the parts of your algorithms which you know the most about. And that can really help you out because, as Richard was mentioning, there's a lot of optimizations with graphics cards that you have to take into consideration. How heavy are your threads? How many registers are you using? How can you fit your thread blocks into a particular um, hardware implementation, depending on what graphics card you have? So libraries can be a really fantastic way to do a lot of numerical, number, or numerical crunching that graphics cards are great at um, with a very uh, sort of quick and dirty method, which is very clean in the outcome. So first of all, um, one of the things about scientific codes that, that have been coming up recently is that they have a huge amount of data that are, they're being used. So a lot of image processing, for example, um, I think Wonky has some examples of where they're using uh, like almost like terabytes of data that they generate once. The, the um, Murchison-Wildfield array that Richard works on also has huge amounts of data coming in through the pipeline. And we have to deal with all this data in some, some way to sort of like condense it. Also, um, the great thing is a lot of these algorithms are very data parallel. So we have to do things like um, correlate two data points together over a time series or try to do um, numerical solving algorithms in quantum chemistry, for example. And so that makes them very well suited to GPUs because we can load all the data at once onto the GPU, crunch through all the numbers, and then bring um, a data structure back. Additionally, um, one of the things that we have to consider is that these algorithms over the last few years have been optimized for, for supercomputers, but because communication between the nodes is so expensive, they've been optimized for pretty much uh, syncing only when necessary. So we have a lot of codes which run very quickly on serial, in serial codes and then sort of like sync back um, on the supercomputers, but they're not really designed to be parallel at the level of GPU processors automatically. So we need to find a way to easily leverage the GPUs using this high data parallel uh, algorithms that we have. And the great way about thinking about libraries is that this allows us to, to port the codes between different heterogeneous um, architectures, such as between GPU clusters and regular standard supercomputers. And it makes it very easy for the scientists, especially, to, to work on, on with these, these new parallel or massively parallel architectures. So one of the biggest pluses is that the by, by calling a library that's been optimized for the particular architecture we are working with, um, it hides the hardware changes. So the library is, is compiled to run on that particular hardware, and therefore we don't have to worry about what graphics card is in the cluster, 
what, um, what the caches are going to be like. And so we can keep the same calls in our codes um, by just using the libraries to sort of wrap that, that numerical processing within a, one call. Additionally, it makes us, forces us to keep our numerical solving sort of compartmentalized. So we can use the black box solver in a way to sort of keep the codes cleaner. It's, it's just a function that's being used over and over again in a number of codes, which allows us to make sure that it's readable from people in different labs, for example, even in the same lab as we all add to the code over the years. Um, for example, we work with QChem, which is a quantum chemistry code. It's over a million lines of code, and there's been you know, tons of people working on it over the, the last decade. And so it's really important that these, these libraries allow us to have, you know, you see a, a particular call, and then you know what it is and what it's doing without having to, to really dive into the code a lot. And again, porting the codes becomes much easier when you lose, use these library um, calls. So one of the biggest ones that the scientific codes um, usually work with is the basic linear algebra subprograms. And these essentially are just multiplying large uh, rays together. So we have last level one is vector vector operations, level two is vector matrix, level three is matrix matrix operations. And these libraries are essentially um, the basis for LAPAC, which is, uh, going, is used in a lot of codes for uh, differential equation solvers, a lot of um, these multi-body physics codes that I think Richard mentioned briefly also uses some of these LAPAC. Intel's math kernel library is another big one. And Atlas is particularly um, good for, for us also because it's tuned to the particular system you're working on. And all of these go back and call these BLAS functions. And the nice thing again is that once you have these library calls, which are, you know, if I, somebody tells me they have a a BLAST level three call, I know, I know pretty much exactly what it's doing without having to worry about digging in through how they've unrolled their matrix multiplication. And as an example of that, this is just a random 20 by 20 matrix. And one of the things that um, Richard talked about also was the fact you have to optimize the number of threads that you have. And so you could think of blocking this off by like um, a two by two chunk or something, which doesn't make a lot of sense as far as optimization goes. Or you can say I'm going to do 32 by 32, which leaves you a huge buffer because 32 is somewhere out here. So the number of threads that you have for, for blocking up how you're going to multiply this particular matrix can be very um, complicated and difficult to optimize because depending on what is stored in these arrays, what kind of um, variables or data you have there, you can again have a different optimization for each problem. And this basically is good for dense matrices where all of these are pretty much have um, a value. But sometimes, for example, you also get what's called a sparse matrix where you have sort of maybe a cluster of, of elements which are maybe dark and the rest of the matrix is pretty much, there's nothing there, it's all zeros. And that, those kind of optimizations become even more complicated because now you have um, your data is ordered in a way that, that means that you can make use of a particular algorithm to speed it up, but only if your data looks in a particular way. So one thing that the libraries do is it hides all of this extra, well, what if your, your, your data is only diagonal, or what if it's clumped in, in spaces over here? The libraries kind of can clean up all of that, and, and they're optimized for, can be optimized for each of those cases without you having to go in and do it yourself. So if you don't have to unroll all these matrices in, in different ways, it makes it a lot of, um, easier to figure out how to rethink your code. And one of the things that I said before is that the scientific codes have been optimized for serial use. Um, and a lot of times they have a lot of branches and a lot of assumptions that are made within the code to be able to be very fast in a serial processor. 
So as the scientists, if there's, any, if there's any scientists out there, you might have to rethink your codes to make them data parallel. But once you've done that, sometimes you can sort of uh, throw everything on the GPU, burn a couple of flops because you don't, even if you're not using the GPU to, to do number crunching exactly, you can use these library calls to sort of clean up the, the way that you think about the code and abstract it for your own personal um, being able to read it in a more, in an easier way. As a quick example, I'm just going to show you um, one of the codes that we were working with. This, this algorithm, um, this RIMP2 algorithm, is just a, basically a way to calculate the energy of a molecule. Um, these along the, the bottom is increasing in number. It's increasing the, the size of the molecule we're dealing with. And this is just an example to show you that when we profile our code, you can see that over 85% and in some of larger systems, up to 95% of the time that we spend in, is in this fourth step here. And this is literally a matrix matrix multiplication, a really, really big one, like 10,000 elements on a side. So one of the things that, like maybe 10,000 by 700 or something, a weird matrix multiplication. So one of the things that we can see very easily is that this is a very parallel operation. It's very, the data is reused. You multiply one row by another column a gazillion times. And so we're spending a lot of time crunching without a lot of time having to control this. So this is a really great, um, opportunity to use the GPUs for, uh, a, for this particular code. And the great thing is, is this is um, just simply a library call to a double precision generalized matrix multiply. And so because this is just one call in here, we can essentially put a wrapper around it, which allows us to use the GPU call instead. And that, as Richard mentioned, is simply CUDA's version of this library called CUBLOS, because this was a BLOS call in the first place. Additionally, there's QFFT for fast Fourier transform libraries. If you're doing image processing, I think you might have a lab on that, potentially. Um, if you're doing image processing, for example, Fourier transforms are really important. And so this QFFT can be very useful in that case. I'm just going to talk about the QBLAS library um, because it's essentially all the very similar thing, and that's what we've been working with. Um, the best thing, as I said, is there's no need to do CUDA thread level coding. Everything has been wrapped up in these libraries for you. So you don't have to worry about the optimal unrolling of your matrices. The thread block um, sizes and, and the number of threads per block is, is determined by the library itself. Also, the memory access patterns are, are taken care of within the libraries. And people from NVIDIA have, who really know their hardware have been able, are the ones who create these libraries, which gives them an, a leg up as far as optimizing them for each implement, hardware implementation they use. So for example, we started out with some of the older, um, for the first cards that they had for high performance computing, which were the Quadra 5600s or the GeForce um, 80 series. And you know, we can you run on those cards, which have much smaller amount of on-device memory, or we can run on these larger um, C1060 cards that we have in the Tesla cluster now. And we don't have to change our code, which makes it really great because we don't have to re-optimize this matrix multiplication step. There's also a lot of support for these libraries. Um, the CUDA SDK, for example, um, has several library calls. Simple Kublas is a pretty straightforward matrix multiplication code, which you can check out, and they show you how to call those libraries, or that, that particular function, um, in, a, in a very simple, straightforward way. Additionally, um, as Richard mentioned, there's people making new libraries all the time. And if they're a well-supported library, they can be a real boon to your, your coding. So, Instead of having to use all the CUDA um, calls for initializing the, the GPU, um, doing 
the, the allocation of memory, et cetera, you basically just use the Kublas um, front part here. So this is to initialize and shut down the card. You just call these functions. You include the Kublas header, and then you can have these functions available. Um, and now you use Kublas alloc, Kublas free, and then Kublas set matrix, set vector um, as necessary in your code, which allows you to sort of really clean up um, the readability, and you don't have to worry about uh, keeping track of all your thread IDs in this particular instance. Even though um, you, know, you can sort of unroll a matrix multiplication in three for loops, it's not as straightforward as it could be. Good morning, stay here. So uh, it's, it's, it, this makes it very simple to interface with the card. And again, I said, as I said before, you can focus on the parts of your algorithm which are unique to your problem. And you don't have to worry about optimizing um, some of these things that everybody has been using um, for years. So one of the things I just wanted to demonstrate some of the extent of the library, just to focus, they have BLOS 1, 2, and 3 functions in KuBLOS, for example. Um, and they're available in single precision and then double precision for the newer cards. There are complex functions if you need that sort of thing. And um, basically, like, you can find anything you pretty much need with BLOS libraries. There's also a KuBLOS version. Primarily, you just stick KuBLOS on the front of it, and that's pr probably what it's called. So it's very straightforward to read for people who are, even who aren't familiar with GPU coding. Um, for example, this is the single precision generalized matrix multiply, and we use this a lot in our numerical solving algorithms, and so that can make it very convenient to, to use the GPUs. Um, one of the things that also you have to consider, however, is you can't get away totally black box with uh, GPU programming. This is for small multiplication of small square matrices of um, on the order of 100 or up to 300 elements on a side of the square matrix. And this is the, the CPU time that it takes to do this calculation. You can see there's little wiggly bits in here. And those are because we've used the Atlas library. And remember I said that was tuned for whatever architecture we were running on. So it's been optimized for that particular um, uh, uh, whatever like memory we have and everything. So this particular little blip is, as you can see, is not on a, an order of uh, a factor of two. So that's a little bit of a strange one, but there's something strange about how they've un optimized the unrolling of this matrix multiplication, which is um, dealt with by the Atlas library, for example. But here the GPU is looking kind of crummy because it's faster than the CPU, or slower than the CPU, you know, even up to 300 elements, it's just barely become faster. But Exactly. This is because of the transfer time. And so one of the things that you have to consider is that your code optimization, you need to dump all the data onto the GPU before you can actually do the number crunching. And so basically, since this is flatlined, you can see that we're spending all of our time transferring data back and forth. And this is just to really hit home the fact that you have to very much consider that you need a large problem to be on the GPU. Or conversely, do all your computing, or as much of it as you can, in the deep GPU and leave all those data structures in GPU memory and keep accessing them there because you can really kill an optimized code by transferring back and forth to the CPU as you know too many times. So one of the other things that we've run into, for example, is if the matrix is too large. Um, sometimes you can, in scientific codes, you can run into matrices that can exceed four gigabytes in size. And if that's your card memory, you can have problems there as well. So we've actually created, again, another little wrapper, which just chops it into pieces. So it basically is doing the Atlas kind of idea where you block your matrix into pieces and send those blocks to the GPU with asynchronous kernel calls. 
and then you sort of stitch your matrix back together. So we'd send like these, this yellow piece and this yellow piece and get the square back from the GPU and then stitch all the different squares in the C matrix back together at the end of the day. So you can use the libraries um, internally to, to your, your function calls in a way that you can still kind of tweak it to your problem. But if we had to actually code all of the blocks, thread blocks within these um, little split up matrices, it would be an extra level of detail that we don't have to worry about. Just to give you an example of why this is a, an exciting result for, for quantum chemistry, is here we're getting up to about 5,000 elements um, aside for these square matrices. And now you can see that this, the GPU is uh, an order of magnitude faster in these particular examples than the CPU. And now this transfer time, even though it's still basically the bulk of the time we spend waiting for the calculation, it beats this CPU calculation by a ton. And again, um, this is an, an example of going up to 8,000 where on the old cards, we ran out of space on, the, on device memory. So we had to sort of chop them in pieces. And you can see there's a split about right here. There should be a, there's a little line that you can't see that runs like this. And you can see that there's a little bit of bullet in the slope because we have another additional transfer, um, send and receive process, but it doesn't really matter, the slope of the, of the computation here. So I just want to say um, also that the rest of our team that's been working on this, Roberto's done a ton of work doing the coding. Mark Watson and Kenta are both chemists getting into GPU programming. Richard's helped us out a ton. And these guys are all from QChem. Um, who work on implementing quantum chemistry on graphics cards. So if there's any general questions about uh, libraries, I'd be happy to entertain them. All right. Use libraries when possible because somebody else did all the work for you. So it's good. <laughs> Thanks.